This is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 22 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Number four. The last is the burden of the account in a prosperous condition. Those who enjoy great wealth and a prosperous condition have a great account to give to God. We are all stewards, and one is a steward to a meaner man, perhaps, but to an ordinary knight. Another is a steward to a nobleman, an earl. Now the steward of the meaner man has not so much as the other under his hand, and shall he be discontented because of this? No, he thinks. I have less, and I will have to give the less account. So your account, in comparison of the ministers and the magistrates, will be nothing. You are to give an account of your own souls, and so are they. You are to give an account for your own family, and so are they. But you will not have to give account for congregations and for towns and cities and countries. You think of princes and kings. Oh, what a glorious position they are in. But what do you think of a king who has to give account for the disorder and wickedness in a kingdom which he might have possibly prevented? What an abundance of glory might a prince bring to God if he bent his soul and all his thoughts to lift up the name of God in his kingdom. Now, what God loses through the lack of this, that king, prince, or governor must give an account for. There is a saying of Chrysostom on that place in Hebrews, where it is said that men must give an account or their souls. He wonders that any man in a public place can be saved because the account they have to give is so great. I remember I have read a saying of Philip, the king of Spain. Though the story says of him that he had such a natural conscience that he professed he would not do anything against his conscience, no, not in secret, for gaining a world. Yet when this man was to die, oh, he said, that I had never been a king. Oh, that I had lived a solitary and private life all my days. Then I should have died a great deal more securely. I should with more confidence have gone before the throne of God to give my account. This is the fruit of my kingdom, because I had all the glory of it. It has made my account harder to give to God. (coughs) Thus he cried out when he was to die. And therefore, you who live in private positions, remember this. If you come to Christ's school and are taught this lesson, you will be quiet in your afflictions or in your private position, because your account is not as great as theirs. There is a saying I remember meeting with in Latimer's sermons, which he was wont to use. The half is more 
than the whole. That is, when a man is in a mean condition, he is but halfway towards the height of prosperity that others are in. Yet, he says, this is a safer, though it is a meaner condition than others. Those who are in a high and prosperous condition have annexed to it the burden of trouble, of danger, of duty, and of account. And thus you see how Christ trains up his scholars in his school, and though they are otherwise weak, yet by his spirit he gives them wisdom to understand these things aright. Roman numeral 8. Christ teaches them what a great and dreadful evil it is to be given up to one's heart's desires. It is indeed a dreadful evil, one of the most hideous and fearful evils that can befall any man on the face of the earth for God to give him up to his heart's desires. A kindred truth is that spiritual judgments are more fearful than any outward judgments. Now, once the soul understands these things, a man will be content when God crosses him in his desires. You are crossed in your desires, and so you are discontented and vexed and fretted about it. Is that your only misery, that you are crossed in your desires? No, no. You are infinitely mistaken. The greatest misery of all is for God to give you up to your heart's lusts and desires, to give you up to your own counsels. So you have it in Psalm 81, 11 and 12. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. What then? So I gave them up unto their own heart lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, let me not have such a misery as that, said Bernard, for to give me what I would have, to give me my heart's desires, is one of the most hideous judgments in the world. In Scripture, we have no certain evident sign of a reprobate. We cannot say, unless we knew a man had committed the sin against the Holy Ghost, that he is a reprobate, for we do not know what God may work upon him. But the nearest of all and the blackest sign of a reprobate is this, for God to give a man up to his heart's desires. All the pain of diseases, all the calamities that can be thought of in the world are no judgments in comparison of this. Now when the soul comes to understand this, it cries out, why am I so troubled that I have not got my desires? There's nothing that God conveys his wrath more through than a prosperous condition. I remember reading of a Jewish tradition about Uzziah. When God struck him with leprosy, they say that the beams of the sun darted upon the forehead of Uzziah, and he was struck with leprosy in this way. The scripture says indeed that the priests looked upon him, but they say that there was a special light and beam of the sun on his forehead that revealed the leprosy to the priest, and they say that was the way of conveying of it. Whether that was true or not, 
I am sure that this is true, that the strong beams of the sun of prosperity upon many men make them to be leprous. Would any poor man in the country have been discontented that he was not in Uzziah's position? He was a great king, I, but there was the leprosy in his forehead. The poor man might say, Though I live meanly in the country, yet I thank God my body is whole and sound. Would not any man rather have homespun and skins of beasts to clothe himself with than to have satin and velvet that had plague in it? The Lord conveys the plague of his curse through prosperity as much as through anything in the world, and therefore, when the soul comes to understand this, this makes it quiet and content. And then, spiritual judgments are the greatest judgments of all. The Lord lays such and such an affliction upon my outward wealth. But what if he had taken away my life? A man's health is a greater mercy than his wealth. And you poor people should consider that. Is the health of a man's body better than his wealth? What then is the health of a man's soul? That is a great deal better. The Lord has inflicted external judgments, but he has not inflicted spiritual judgments on you. He has not given you up to hardness of heart and taken away the spirit of prayer from you in your afflicted condition. Oh, then be of good comfort, though you have outward afflictions upon you. Still your soul, your more excellent part, is not afflicted. Now when the soul comes to understand this, that here lies the sore wrath of God to be given up to one's desires and to have spiritual judgments, this quiets him and contents him, though outward afflictions are on him. Perhaps one of a man's children has the fit of an ag or a toothache, but his next door neighbor has the plague or all his children have died of it. Now shall he be so discontented that his children have toothache when his neighbor's children are dead? Think thus, Lord, you have laid an afflicted condition upon me, but Lord, you have not given me the plague of a hard heart. Now, if you take these eight things before mentioned and lay them together, you may well apply that scripture in the 29th of Isaiah, the last verse, where it says, They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. Have there been any of you, as I fear many may be found, who have erred in spirit, even in regard of this truth, that we are now preaching of, and many who have murmured. Oh, that this day you might come to understand that Christ would bring you into his school and teach you understanding. And they that murmured shall learn doctrine. What doctrine shall they learn? The doctrines that I have opened to you. And if you will, but thoroughly study these lessons that I have set before your eyes. It will be a special help 
and means to cure your murmurings and repinings at the hand of God, and so you will come to learn Christian contentment. The Lord teach you thoroughly by his Spirit these lessons of contentment. I will only add one more lesson in the learning of contentment, and then I shall come to the fourth head, the excellence of contentment. Roman numeral 9, the ninth and last lesson, which Christ teaches those whom he instructs in this art of contentment, is the right knowledge of God's providence. And therein are four things. Number one, the universality of providence, wherein the soul must be thoroughly instructed in to come to this art of contentment. To understand the universality of providence, that is, how the providence of God goes through the whole world and extends itself to everything. Not only that God, by his providence, rules the world and governs all things in general, but that it reaches to every detail, not only to order the great affairs of kingdoms, but it reaches to every man's family, it reaches to every person in the family, it reaches to every condition, yea, to every happening, to everything that falls out concerning you in every particular. Not one hair falls from your head, not a sparrow to the ground, without the providence of God. This concludes episode 22 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. <laughs>